maybe you don't recognize it. Uh, maybe you don't notice a difference at all. Maybe you have a preference in some respects, but sometimes preaching can be done in different, different manners. Um, there is what is called the exegetical sermon. The exegetical sermon is where you go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. If you do a study on the book of 1 Peter, it is usually an exegetical sermon. You just kind of go through the scripture and, and expound on what it has to say. Sometimes it's just a text sermon. It's just basically on one particular passage of scripture. And you attach uh, how that fits in with the, with the, the context of, of, of where our lives are and what God is trying to say at that particular time. Um, there, is, there is also what you'll call the testimonial type of sermon, where someone's just kind of giving uh, a story. Sometimes it is a, a topical sermon where we're talking about forgiveness or we're talking about love or we're talking about, uh, about just one particular topic and how the Word of God uh, speaks about that. And, and if you're here, you, you, you have heard them, or maybe you're listening online, you have heard all of these sermons. But amongst the favorite for me are the ones that I will call character sermons, where you take a look at someone in Scripture and you learn from their life. And through the month of February, uh, I want to try and do that. So if you don't like character sermons, that's okay. This will be a good one. I'm, I'm promising you, you will. But most people kind of like to take a look at some of the lives in Scripture. And that's kind of the unique thing about the Bible. Because when the Bible paints pictures of people, it paints it with all of the warts and all of the imperfections. And the characters that we hear about and read about in Scripture were not perfect. A lot of them were far from it. And a lot of them are people that God uses to do great things. If you look at the difference between some of the writings of other religions and Christianity, one of the main religions, one of the main differences is that in Christianity's writings, the individuals are not perfect. In other writings, they are seen as superhuman individuals. And God does that. Many times because the message of scripture is that the God of Israel was the initiator to change in people's lives. And that's true today. And I say thank goodness for that. And the other reason I enjoy character messages is because when I take a look at the scriptures, I see myself. I can relate. I can relate to what people are going through and what was happening at that time. And I see my imperfections in those people as well. I take a look at the, light, the, the, the life of Peter. And um, if you take a look at the, light of, at the life of Peter and you say, well, what kind of idiot is this guy? Continually getting wrong, always shooting his mouth off at the right time, always being impulsive in that. And if you say that, you get it wrong. Because many times what you should be saying is, hey, that's kind of me. That's the way I was. That's the way I am at times. And there is comfort in that because God used Peter. And God used Jacob. And if you take a look at the life of Jacob, you will realize that he wasn't the nicest guy. That he had his flaws. His story starts in Genesis chapter 25. And so if you have your Bible apps, if you have your Bibles, physical Bibles um, with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. The story of Jacob goes through a number of chapters. It's hard to read like three chapters in a Sunday morning service. But I just kind of want to highlight the first part of the life to kind of give me a platform from which to talk to. So I'm reading from the New International Version of Genesis chapter 25, verses 21. I'm going to start, and it says this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because he was she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled 
each other within her. And she says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people with, with whom you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Jacob. Now I'll just say this right off the start, that his name suits him. For those of you who don't know, what Jacob actually means is deceiver, supplanter. Literally, it means to grab taken from the fact that he was grabbing the heel of his brother as he was coming out. A grabber. I, nobody likes a grabber. I don't know if you were a kid, if you had to deal with another kid that was a grabber, but it's a frustrating thing. I remember growing up, and my cousin had a cousin, and I just hated to play with this guy because every time you had something, he was trying to grab it out of your hand. I just hate guys like that. And and so what happens is that when you're a grabber, you know, you become greedy and self-centered and you don't play well and and you don't think of the welfare of everybody and the tendency is to grab back and it's a hostile environment with kids. and, And I'm just glad that when we get older, we grow out of it. Or do we? Maybe we just get better at hiding it. And who calls their kid deceiver? You know, like, if, if, if all of a sudden you're born and, and you find out that your name in Latin means major loser, I think you'd have some questions to ask your mom. Hey, mom, what is with that? You call me major loser? Be quiet and eat your porridge. No, I wouldn't say something like that. I don't know. The word Jabez meant pain. He caused a lot of pain in childbirth. They called him pain. And so this was the legacy that Jacob is, is upon him. And what he does is, is that he was striving to get in front. To, to grab someone's heel at that time meant to pull someone down so that you can pull yourself up. To get over another person. And so this is kind of what the issue was. That, they, that he strives and, relush, re, and rushes to manipulate people. And the irony of it is this. That Jacob spends his life and energy seeking to control what God wanted to give him as a gift. As a result, he goes through painful situations. Does the same thing not happen to us? You know, right from childbirth, Jacob's story is this long and winding road of God trying to give him something that he was trying to grab in the first place. And so later on in the life of Jacob, you realize that God changes his name. He goes from Jacob the grabber to Jacob, or sorry, to Israel, one who strives with God. And so the whole story of Jacob surrounds this whole thing, the changing of a name. And the interesting thing about it all is that if we look close enough, we can see our own story in the life. So let me kind of fill you in. As we learned in Genesis chapter 25, you got this this. Um, Mother who is is trying to have a child, it took forever. Isaac has to pray for for Rebecca to be able to get pregnant. Stop and consider. When God promises Abraham that he's going to make a nation of him, he doesn't even allow 
his wife to get pregnant until she's 90 and he's 100 years old. And then you see the exact same thing with Isaac and Rebekah. It took her forever to get to have childbirth. And the same thing happens with Rachel. Isn't that kind of funny that God promises something and yet at the same time makes it difficult to happen? Not only that, that it has something to do with the blessing. And, and the, the thought of the blessing at that time was that the older person got a double portion. They got twice as much as what everybody else did. They got a double portion because they were the head. They were the one who got the blessing. But if you take a look at Abraham, there was Ishmael, the older one, but it was Isaac that gets the blessing. And with Isaac, you have Esau and Jacob, and Jacob gets the blessing. And then from there, there's Joseph, and Joseph tries to get his sons, and, and Jacob reverses it and blesses the younger one instead of the older one. And, and the lineage of the Messiah doesn't go through the oldest one, Simeon. It goes through Judah. You find these kind of funny that, that God will move in whatever way he desires to move. And so there's this prophecy you know, they already know from the start that the younger one will be the one that will get the blessing. But even though this was the case, that wasn't good enough for Jacob. I don't know if I can trust God enough to do that. I'm going to have to do it myself. I'm going to have to grasp his heel. I'm going to do everything that I can to get in front of the person who is ahead of me. And so it begins to happen. It happens at a time in their life when Esau, who's kind of the outdoors guy, comes back from, from hunting, has nothing to eat. And he sells his birthright, this birthright that is so special, for bowl soup. And it says that, it, it says that Esau despised his birthright. We'll, we'll learn about that in, in a few weeks. Then all of a sudden, the real blessing comes, the time when Jacob is about to die. And Rebekah works in tandem with Jacob to deceive uh, Isaac. And he takes the blessing, and Esau comes, and there's nothing left. And this anger, living in conflict, particularly with his uncle Laban, who kind of tricks him. And all these things take place. And, and Jacob connives his brother Esau for a blessing that was already promised to him. And then, because he couldn't trust God, he tries to manipulate God as he does Esau. And it isn't until an episode that happens later in his life where he's actually fighting with God that he surrenders it. But it takes over 60 years. He struggles for 60 years, at least, it says. Isn't that incredible? It's not in your best interest to be a grabber, is it? I think the Bible teaches really clearly that you're better off to be the one who strives with God. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, at what point on the continuum of time or my life, at what point am I between extreme grabber or the one who strives with God? It's an important question for us to have. But there are consequences to being a grabber. There are probably some that you'll think of that I won't know. But there, there are like four consequences that I wanted to give you today. Through the life of Jacob as to what happens when you're a grabber. This is the first one. A grabber will miss out on God's provision and timing. When you take matters into your own hands, all of a sudden you begin to develop a convoluted road. Like God... There is an easy way and there is a hard way. But the hard way happens when we say, God, I am impatient. Or God, I don't really trust that you are going to do that for me. And we take matters into our own hands. And many of the trials that happened with Jacob became unnecessary as a result. And so Jacob lived an imbalanced life. He was always trying to maintain a level of balance. But it could never ever occur 
because he was always trying to strive to make things happen his way. I find the times that I have been the most imbalanced in my life have been the times when I have done the exact same thing. There's consequences to being a grabber. One of them is the fact that I get frustrated and I get imbalanced because it's never enough and it's not done in the right timing. And if we take a look at our faith and the times that we walk with God, many times the frustrations we have is because it's not really done in the timing that I want and it is never really ever enough. A grabber will always miss out on God's provision and timing. Here's another thing about a grabber. A grabber often will reap what they sow. This is a biblical principle. If you know your Bibles at all, you will have heard this statement, and it has come from the Bible. You will reap what you sow. This was the case with him. If a person utilizes deception and manipulation, they will often be deceived and manipulated. And Genesis talks about that fact with his uncle Laban. Here he is deceiving on the run from Esau, goes to Laban. He figures he's going to be married to one girl. It ends up that he marries another girl which means he has to work another seven years, finally getting the girl that he wants to have. And not only that, he has to work another six weeks, six weeks, six years. So 20 years are gone in his life. And then from there, he basically has to take off. He becomes deceived because he was basically a deceiver himself. We've often heard the biblical principle, um, you reap what you sow. But here's the thing. You will reap, if we have that up there, you will reap from the environment that your heart resides in. You will always reap from where your heart is, the interest that you have. A grabber will often have things grabbed from them, but a deceiver will often be deceived. A thief will oftentimes have things stolen from them. If you step on somebody's head on the way up the ladder, inevitably your head will be stepped on yourself. May not happen tomorrow, may not happen in a little while, but eventually it will take place. And the opposite is true. Thank goodness the opposite is true. If you, if you trust in the Lord in everything you do, then what will happen is he will direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. That's, for some of us, that is the, our favorite passage uh, in all of Scripture. It is true because it is part of the, that aspect of things. A, a, a person who is generous with others has generosity extended toward them. Now, this refers to more than money, but money is often the great indicator of this truth. Money can be a great truth teller about who we are. For instance, I think the reason that God instituted tithing, the aspect of giving a 10% of what we have to him, is not because God needed the money. God doesn't need our money. So why does he institute this? Because I believe that the environment that your heart in is what you will reap from. And when all of a sudden God doesn't mean your money and you still give it to him anyways, what you do is you build up a trust. If I don't trust God with my money, ultimately I will not trust God with virtually any other area of my life. But the opposite is true. Money is the ultimate indicator of trust. So I believe in tithing. And the reason I believe in tithing is not because I get paid if you tithe. No, that's not the situation. That's why it's difficult as a pastor. Well, pastor, you've got a vested interest in this tithing thing. But there's a whole lot more to it. I believe trusting in God and being in situations where we have to trust in God develops a muscle in us, a spiritual muscle. And if it happens in the area which is most difficult in our lives, then we gain a strength and a resilience. Now, 
Sometimes the tithing muscle or the tithing trusting muscle is a workout that I do not like. And I think that all of us feel that way at times. But what eventually happens is another crisis comes in your life, another difficult time where you have to to trust in him. But because you never have trusted in him, you suffer as a result. So you're trying to tell me that if I am giving and trusting God on my giving, it will help in some of the deepest types of my life, even if it has nothing to do with money? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. We develop the muscles of trust. And if you can develop it in the area that hurts you or affects you the most, that is the toughest thing to do, then God is able to do great things through you. They did a study of of what was called deconversion. They were finding over the last 10 years that there were many people who had been Christians for decades, all of a sudden giving up on their faith. This was becoming somewhat of an issue. So, so people started to, like, to take a look into it. And one of the things that they discovered was that those people who had been Christians, who had given their life for years and then all of a sudden decided not to, that in many cases, they didn't regularly give. There's a muscle that's created. There is something that happens within us when we trust God in those smaller areas all the time. If, if you reap, you will sow, particularly in the area that your heart resides in. So that's a grabber. A grabber will always reap what they sow. Here's the other thing about a grabber. A grabber will also be a runner. Well, how do you know that? Well, because if you grab something from them with other people, oftentimes they will run after you. They're not happy with you. And so this was the case with Jacob. You ever notice that Jacob was always on the run? He was on the run from his brother Esau. He was on the run from his uncle Jabin. Ultimately, he was on the run from God until God catches up to him. I have felt in the times where I have not trusted in God have been some of the most tiresome times in my life. Why is that? Well, because when you run for a long time, eventually you get tired. And this, I think, was the situation with Jacob, that eventually you get tired from running. If you live a life where you're trying to make it happen on your own, Eventually, you get frustrated. Eventually, you're grabbing from God. And that becomes a problem. There are certain times, and, and perhaps some of the most frustrating times in my life, was when I felt like a rocking chair. Lots of movement, but you don't get very far. And so this is the case. We can become very good manipulators. We become spinners of what we want. We convince ourselves that it's actually God's will, when many times it's not. We become blind to the agenda when manipulating God. And we get offended when God eventually exposes that in us. You ever had a season where you look back a few months and you finally admit that God had a different pathway for you or God had a different time schedule for you or you were angry that God didn't show you the game plan? And the thing is, ultimately, if you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you're just kind of seeking right now and you don't know Jesus, you will be a runner until you do. If you're watching online... The ultimate run happens when you say no to God. When you come to the realization that you can't get to heaven yourself, that the sin that you have in your life is too much for you. You can't earn your way to heaven. And so God comes before you and he says, I will forgive you, but you have to give your life to me. At that time, you have to decide as to whether you're going to embrace the gift of God or whether you're going to run. See, a grabber will always be also a runner. Here's another one. Here's the the, the last one. It says this. Grabbers will always have their hands so full that they can never receive 
anything from God. When you begin to grab, you have these things in your hand, and then all of a sudden you get to the point where with God, he often does not give you the blessing until you first release what's in your hand. The difficulty is this. Sometimes the thing that is in our hand is pretty good. And God trades up many times, and so he says, here. And so we are stuck here with this blessing, and, and, and we're trying to receive from God something, and we're just kind of to give up what is in your hand. You have to, to trade up, and that becomes a difficult thing, because I don't really know, God, if you're actually going to give that to me. How can I know for sure that you're going to give that? Listen, you give it to me first, and then it works. And essentially, and unfortunately, it took many years from him to go from Jacob, the deceiver, the grabber, to Israel, the one to one who strives. Here's what I have found. Being in the faith for decades. Being in ministry from decades. And seeing people's lives. That intimacy with God usually is down the corridor of surrender. There's no way around it. There's no hidden passage. There's no shortcut. It comes when we say, okay, God, I give you everything. Have you found that to be true? I was reading this this. Um, this week about uh, a girl whose name was Janelle Guzman McMillan. Um, you may not know who she is, but she was the last person that was saved from the rubble of the Twin Towers that were, that were um, broken down through terrorism. 27 hours she sat in rubble before firefighters heard her calling and pulled her out. 30 years old, a single mother from Trinidad, she basically was in a port authority on the 64th floor, and then all of a sudden she was on the bottom floor. And so as they're reporting her, they basically, she says, basically says this. She says, my head was pinned between two pieces of concrete, and my legs were sandwiched by pieces of a stairway. She reports, my toes had gone numb hours ago. Her right hand was pinned underneath her leg, and all she had was her left hand. That's all that she could wave. That was all that she could move. And as they reported her, she said, you know, I grew up in Trinidad in the Catholic Church. I abandoned it a number of years ago. But all of a sudden, with a few tons of concrete and everything, I just began to pray. I just began to call out to God. And the prayer kind of went like this. God, please let them find my body. I want to be stuck in this rubble, rubble and they don't even find me. And then as a few hours went by, she begins to pray this, God, can you at least allow them to find me so that I can get to the hospital and see my 14-year-old daughter? I'd just love to see my daughter before I passed away. And then a number of hours passed by, and she begins to say this, God, can you save me? Can you get me out of this? I'm going to change my life. God, I, I will dedicate my life to you. I know we've probably heard that a number of times, but this, this particular time, she did. God, will you help me? And then, then at hour 27, after the accident occurred, a, a firefighter saw the reflective gear of a fallen comrade and all of a sudden sees her hand waving. And she gets rescued. An incredible story. And I am sure with all of us who have had all of our you know, crisis situations, there probably wasn't one that has been that severe in your life. But I would think, for those of us who have been saints for a number of years, that there was probably one or two times where God had put us in a place 
where he had to say this. Okay, God, here, I give it to you. I surrender. I pray, God, that you will move. What is it? Let me ask, what is it that God is asking you to surrender? If the continuum is this, severe grabber and one who strives with God, what place are you in there? What place is God trying to push you to a place where he's always wanted you to be? Intimacy with God will always go down a corridor of surrender. And I wish that I could say that when I accepted Jesus for the very first time, when I said, okay, God, I give you everything I surrendered, that that was it. You know, I surrendered that one time. Everything's just been good since then. But you know what? You're not in this faith long enough or too long before you sit there and realize that surrender is a continuous thing. Because, you know, Romans 12 says that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. And we all know what the problem is with the living sacrifice. It just always seems to crawl off the altar. So God, I pray that over these next few weeks, you will begin to convict our lives. To get to our point where we say, God, I just want to surrender everything. I want to be able to have the promises and the things that you have always wanted to give me. Allow me to trust in you. Allow me not to put matters into my own hands, but do a great thing, Father. Lord, even as a church, God, I think that you're calling the church in general, Father, not to, not to be governed by the grabbing or governed by the opinion, but to be governed by the surrender that we have for you. So you can do great things through us. So Lord, let us leave, Father, with the challenge to give you everything, I pray. Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Glenn. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.